0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito, and I'm trying to look at Shelly Nobles that she doesn't laugh.
1: <laughs> Don't look at me. Hi, Shelly. Hi. Hi, Greg. <laughs> this is like our ninth attempt at an intro. And so We're far- just, Let's go with it. It's
0: going really good. It's, this is a good one. This is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast where we laugh uncontrollably about silly things uh, and then talk about Dungeons & Dragons throughout- the right. entire hour of fun here There's on this podcast. There's a theme. There's a theme. Uh, so today we have uh, two amazing guests from the D&D team.
1: Hooray. Emmy
0: Tanji and Jeremy Crawford. Awesome. They will introduce their uh, their roles and their titles and you get to learn more about them. But they're basically the people who actually put the finishing touches on designing the layout and the look and the feel. It's kind and of the
1: beginning touches, too. Th- th- all of it's the kind touches. Of everything. Yeah,
0: and I think they have a specific term for it, but we'll find out what that touching okay. term really the is. The touching term. When we talk to them. Good touch. Uh, they are going to talk about uh, laying out all the DD books, but most specifically, Voto's Guide to Monsters, yeah. which is coming to game stores uh, very soon, 11.4.16. Uh, in uh, uh, the friendly local game stores and you'll be able to pick up not just one cover of this book but two covers if you're that crazy Uh, or just pick which which cover you you prefer one of them is an awesome uh uh, painting by taylor jacobson uh with a harsh nag and a halfling the other is an alternate cover uh the same guts in the book is in there but um Designed by Hydro74, wow. uh, an amazing artist. And it's uh, a
1: limited, it, it's limited, right? It's
0: limited, limited yes. Edition. We we're only okay. printing, we're not, we don't know exactly the numbers on them, we're printing a small number. Like seven? Seven, maybe? I think we're only printing yeah. seven of them. Uh, and it's only going to hobby stores and game stores. Right. No, so
1: get in there early, pre-order yeah. it maybe. Ooh, can you pre-order? If, mm-hmm. if your local
0: store allows you to pre-order, yeah, do totally it. do that. You They're totally not going to last. Uh, So we'll talk about uh, them putting that book together uh, very soon. Uh, And then, uh, of course, what else do we have going on in the Dungeons Dragons world? You can find out uh, what's happening in the Curse of Strahd campaign. Dice camera action that Chris Perkins is running. A whole bunch of wonderful Twitch and YouTube people through. They are uh, the Waffle Crew. The Waffle Crew, Yeah, They do amazing stuff uh, and uh, will mostly just die, I think. I think that's the conclusion of the... The story should be. That's just me. They just don't curse. uh, Strahd is just gonna, you know, drink their blood and and
1: that's it. Not,
0: yeah. I mean, Chris Perkins,
1: I think he's got a little
0: bit of a mean streak in him. Yep. Yeah. I think that's what fuels him. That's what fuels his fire. That could happen. PCs. You can check out that live on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, but you can also check out all the backlog episodes on YouTube. Uh, in the Dungeons & Dragons channel. Go check it out. It's a good stuff. A lot
1: of videos for you to check out on YouTube.
0: There really are, but ours in particular on the Dungeons & Dragons channel are good.
1: No, I'm, that's what I meant, on yes. the D&D channel. Oh, I yes. don't even know if there are other channels. There's other, I thought you were saying I'm there's a lot even. of videos on no. YouTube. I'm like, yes, <laughs> there are. <laughs> no. I know there are. There's a lot of surprise egg videos.
0: I, we, I Yes, my kids have been watching those a lot. Good Lord. My girl, Fiona, calls them Barbie things. And even though they're not necessarily Barbie things, mm. but I'll be like, no, we're not watching Barbie things.
1: Oh, Come over to our house, Fiona. Yeah. I want to watch some surprise eggs. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, so go check all that stuff out. Um, and uh, we're going to move along to a segment. Um, and uh, you'll hear some lore, some wonderful lore you should know. Up right about now,
1: okay. Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: All right, welcome uh, to Lore You Should Know, this segment where we delve into some forgotten realms lore, pick apart uh, the brains of two amazing gentlemen, and uh, give them to you, our listeners. Uh, I'm joined by Matt Sernett. Hello. Hello. And Mr. Chris Perkins. Greetings. Uh, thanks, guys. We're going to hear to talk about uh, uh, orcs. And all the makes them Dungeons and Dragons orcs. Mm. Uh, and especially... Where there's a whip. Oh well, wait, <laughs> that's not ours.
2: <laughs>
0: Dang it! Uh, but uh, yes, you'll learn about them a lot more in Volo's Guide to Monsters, uh, uh, which so is coming out very soon. Um, groovy hands on the copy that we have in the building right now. I know Matt is touching an actual copy. It's amazing. Jealous. Uh, so yeah, I mean, as you said, there's some there's some orcs that are definitely are not Dungeons and Dragons orcs. But we're here to talk about what makes our
2: conception of them unique uh so well they have certainly changed a great deal over the various editions of the game we have uh enjoyed and in some cases struggled with sort of creating the D orc mm-hmm. uh, but it started as a pig-headed monster in the original first edition monster manual and uh over the course of editions has sort of evolved into a tuscan brute uh with grayish skin and a rather um, barbaric demeanor. Yep,
3: it's funny to look back at the various images of orcs uh, over time because they just come in all kinds of weird appearances. There's the the pig-faced ones and uh, the toy that we actually have out in the uh, glass case uh, here uh, is uh, they have fur on their faces, they're like wolf characters (laughs) characters that <laughs> interesting. <laughs> they're interesting very strange right and I've, I've seen depictions of orcs in second edition products where they're purple it, it's yes. just we were all over the map uh, yeah for right. a very long time and then, i mean the early on the first uh,
0: entries in the monster manual uh were you know undoubtedly inspired by J.R.R. tolkien's vision of orcs uh, uh and so initially it started from something that was not you know part and parcel to what made Dungeons and dragons Dungeons and dragons so mm-hmm. it, it it has been something that has grown over over that time.
3: Yeah, yeah. I would say the first ver- versions are very simplistic. You know, they're they're just barbaric humanoids that love to kill and plunder eat people and, and, and yeah. plunder. Yeah. and you know, all that kind of stuff. Somewhat so, animalistic.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, pretty much man. interchangeable with a lot of the other evil humanoids of right. the day. Definitely. And I think maybe in
3: third edition is where we really started to push them more towards um, their
2: own definition as something very d and ish Well, I think part of, it, part of uh, what made them interesting were the Dragon Magazine articles, I think by Roger Moore, about the orc gods. Uh, when, they started, when they started to talk about Grumsch and Luthic and others and kind of show that there's more to these guys, more dimension to these guys than being simple louts.
3: Um. Yeah, and that's certainly the, the basis of where we've taken them now at this point with, with fifth edition, particularly with uh, Volo's Guide Monsters. Uh, and I think in, in third edition there was definitely the focus on Groomsh. Uh, and so there were lots of miniatures, you know, the Eye of Grimsh and. Various um, grumsh 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 and, and that,
2: <laughs> a lot of that stemmed from the fact that there's a, a fun little story about Grumsh and the elven deity on Lorethian. yes, uh, which sort of serves as a foundation for why the orcs are so angry at everybody, especially uh, particularly the elves. elves, yes, uh, right. because their god got into a fight with the elven god, and the elven god shot out Grumsh's eye, uh, leaving him, you know, the one-eyed lord. Uh, there's and, something special about that
0: because it has like a, a, a very mythic feel yes. to it. It feels like something that could have come from a Greek or a Norse, you know, pantheon. So right. I think a lot of people, myself included, lashed
2: onto to that yes. idea for, yes. for that reason. And I think, so groomsh angry, orcs angry.
3: Yes. Yeah. And I, with uh, Volus Guide to Monsters, uh, we really wanted to go back again to things like Roger Moore's articles and uh, monster mythology and so on and take a second look at those and see what was there and where we could build in more of that mythic quality to the other orc deities that sometimes were pretty thin, you know, um, in you know, Bogtrou was the big dumb orc god the, who was worshipped because he's the strong big dumb orc, and what is he? He's, he's Groomsh's son, and he, and he has a, a broken, um, thigh bone of a lizard-like monster as a symbol, holy symbol, and that's pretty much all the information you get. When uh, oh, he rides a really big bull, and it's like, okay, well, wh- why? Why a big bull? What's the thigh bone? Why, who, who is this in relation to the other orc deities? Like, What are the stories the orcs tell about true that makes true somebody that they'd actually care about worshiping? Yeah. And so with Volo's Guide to Monsters, we took a look at all those, those details that were kind of a little bit sparse. And really built a new um, mythology based upon all those old details that really tied them together and, and tied Orc Society together and made it more of a pantheistic society. So it isn't just Groomsch, it's Groomsh and uh Ilnaval and Bogtru and Mythic and Sargas and
2: Sargas.
4: yeah.
0: So what are um, what are some of the myths You you know have to do the, the the long version, but what's the short version about each one of those if you have a few seconds to talk about like, what is Luthic, what is Luthic's story?
3: Right, so I, I think one of the um, really interesting things that, that came out of those uh, discussions about orcs and their mythology is a new idea of what orc tribes are like. Uh, so I think in the past, if, if you put some orcs in a cave or orcs in some huts and had them scream groomsh and run at the party, your job was basically done. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you didn't have to do much thinking about it. Um, now we have some interesting texture and color where essentially uh, Luthic is, uh, was sort of depicted in, in uh, previous editions and so on as the cave mother. And uh, so there's now this sort of interplay between Groomsh as this, this uh, warrior um, figure who, who leads the tribe outward to go and destroy and pillage and so on. And so when the, the orcs go out and do that, um, if they're successful and they come back with lots of loot and everything, great. You know, Groomsh is still in charge, everything works out. They go out and kill some more and they get some more stuff. And they come back, hooray, everything's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they go out and they're slaughtered and they come limping back home, well, then the, uh, the sort of leader who would normally be some um, warrior who's beholden to Groomsh and you know, that kind of thing uh, loses power, and actually Luthic's um, priestesses take control of the tribe. And suddenly they become these sort of like really um, uh, domineering and protective den mothers who then demand the tribe uh, stay hunkered down in its cave until they can build up their numbers and strength. Mm. And so then some of the other uh, elements of the, the mythology as far as... Um, Uh, what's his name, Um, Yurtras, as as sort of a weird healer slash god of disease and death. Uh, Sort of a
2: purger of the
3: weak. Yeah, (laughs) and (laughs) Shargaz. Oh, like you would
0: worship disease as someone who would uh, 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 winnow away the weaker parts of the the clan in order to make them more effective.
3: Right. I mean, those come into play as well. So it's like in in an orc society, um, you know, the the, uh, followers of Yurtras are the ones who keep the food. So so they're not only the guys who are in charge of sort of like burying the bodies and um, ushering orcs into death and even healing orcs that come back that are wounded, they also are in charge of oddly keeping the food. And that was a strange detail when we ran into it um, in the sort of second edition materials. But when we started to piece all these things together, that that sort of made sense that these, um, that they're sort of shepherding this, this sort of lifeblood of the tribe and, and, and in the... You know, when the tribe comes back wounded, they are then the ones who come forward and, uh, you know, give the m- sort of meet out all of the food and resources and control that. And again, sort of the the Luthic um, and Urtus and Groom sort of relationships shift and the power forces shift in mm. the tribe as things are moving around.
0: So it sounds like the Urtus followers or 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 would be more like the um, the. the... Taking care of the logistics of the tribe, even though they would never use that word, you know, they're dealing with the food and the supply and the death and the yeah, and, and they, I mean keeping the, the tribe going.
3: They're generally uh, going to be um, the elderly or the deformed or the diseased themselves, and so that's that lends them a really interesting character as well. Yeah. Where they and and uh, they they uh, wear um, actually gloves made of skin um, that. Uh, you, that they prefer to have be sort of this white and bleached look to them because you is supposed to have white hands. And so uh, they, you know, there's this weird sort of doctor medical quality as well that oh, looks yeah. totally creepy and, and strange, and it's a lot of fun.
0: Interesting. Uh, So in in fleshing out this pantheon, you feel like you have uh, uh, given out uh, uh, the details that you can make. So it's not just a a random orc tribe in a cave. You can kind of see like what what state is this tribe in. And it it
2: separates them from the other evil humanoids uh, who sort of form the core of D&D. We've carved them out as these sort of God-driven force, whereas hobgoblins are really more about their martial prowess, their their taking of land, their sort of warlordship, that kind of thing. Whereas mm-hmm. And gnolls are, uh, as we discussed in a previous installment, just rampaging lunatics uh, right, who worship, worship a demon lord. But what does that mean? It just means eat more, kill more, slaughter more. Uh, the, the orcs are um, very multidimensional, um, but they have a religious bent, which at times seems in conflict with their barbaric nature, but it works for them. Interesting.
3: Yeah, and I, I think that uh, you know, whereas in the past, if you went into an orc lair, you might meet some orcs and there's warriors, and there's maybe there's some orogs and they're tougher orcs, and maybe there's a shaman and a chieftain. You know, now I think there's a lot more texture and color there, where uh, you know, they're way at the back of the cave. There's you know, in some hidden crevice somewhere are the, the worshippers of Shargass and these are sort of the the orcs who otherwise wouldn't have survived and so the, the the weak orc babies are sort of brought back into the dark depths of the cave and left for Shargass and they might get eaten by the other Shargass uh, worshippers, uh, they might get saved they might just be left to die it's not you know like it's it's a gamble right but if you're accepted into the, into the sort of uh Chargass cult back there at the way in the depths of the cave then mm-hmm. you become um one of these weird uh sort of orc uh, assassins um and so you're not about sort of brute strength and brute force you're about stealth you're about um you know Attacking from the darkness and they, they use like flying bats and, and so it, it becomes a lot more interesting you know it's not just these uh, simple templates of like okay it's an evil humanoid tribe therefore it's got warriors and something like a cleric and something like a, a, you know a chieftain done now there's lots more going on. Yeah. And there can and, be different factions right, you yes. know, fighting and, for control. And Golo's
2: Guide to Monsters has a sample orc stronghold to illustrate how these various factions and elements play against each other and to show off other things like what the orc Warhearth is and what that means for the orcs and stuff like that. So, lots of things for DMs to grab onto. Do you think that you could then, you know, uh, I, I immediately jump to the ideas where you'll have ones where
0: you know the the warlord has banned Shargass's followers from his thing, and then there's like a you know you meet a Shargass follower outside of a cave who wants to get back in, and then so you can actually figure out ways to work with an orc tribe in order to to say is. is is that also talked about in *Volo's Guide to Monsters*? How there's different ebbs and flows. Not not every tribe you encounter will have equal parts of each one of yes. these facets. Yeah, that is so nice yeah, That's
3: that's absolutely there, and, and I mean it's it's implicit, if not explicit, in 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 everything written about the orcs, um, and and the sort of all the the changes that can happen to the tribe and how the different groups can be in power and that kind of thing. Love it. Excellent.
0: Cool. Well, now I. I just as you said many times orcs are just you know the bad guys and now i feel like right. you could start an entire campaign uh, around yeah. them so that's that's and really we, we do
2: give you some more some new orcs to play with in the book as well so following along some of these these yep. cult lines yeah along some of these themes that we've
0: talked about Ooh, all right great well can't wait to more toys for the dm s- start previewing some of that and having you guys uh uh create uh, some stories with them awesome thank you you're welcome Wasn't that lorefic?
1: Yes. It
0: was loreazing. Yes. I'm c- coining new words left and right. Yeah. It's core loretastic. Loreful. Are you hard lore, like me?
1: I don't know. It's
0: like hardcore, but but you're hard lore. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. I've been lifting up all of the the hard lore books. <laughs> You, that does isn't funny unless you're actually seeing me doing, like, bicep lifts or at something.
1: The, at
0: the hardware lore. At the hardware lore. <laughs> <laughs> we go to the gym and work out our, our hard lore. I don't know. But this is yeah. going nowhere. We're going to cut all this. But Ryan, uh, before we get to cutting that, let's uh, go talk to uh, uh, Emmy and Jeremy. We'll get them to come into the room and uh, uh, pick their brains about making D&D books to come alive. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, we have uh, these amazing uh, 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 ladies and gentlemen joining us for today. Uh, we have Emmy Tanji. Hi,
1: Emmy. Hi, Emmy. Emmy. Hi, guys. Hi.
0: And Jeremy Crawford. <laughs> woo woo, Jeremy Hi, everyone. Crawford. How's it going? It's going great. Good. It's good to be here. So, uh, so for those uh, listeners who may not know exactly what you guys do, why don't you give us the, the quick version of what your uh, job is like here in the wizard's office. Emmy, starting with you.
5: Hi, I'm a senior graphic designer for Dungeons and Dragons, and I deal with um, some marketing design, working with Shauna Narciso, who's amazing, and also some of the book layout with Jeremy and Kate Irwin. So it's a lot of fun. All when that you stuff, say some, well, do you mean? You mean all. Yeah. Like a little You bit. mean all. Uh, like older, right? <laughs> Everything. Do you have
1: <laughs> like a secret staff we don't know about? <laughs> I wish. And by, and by that, I mean like a wizard staff. <gasps> oh, the staff. That would the staff cool. of Photoshop. staff yes. of design. <laughs> well,
6: because, I mean, you draw all those amazing, cute creatures. I imagine when the rest of us leave, you summon forth an army of them. Oh, and they help incredible. you make these books.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so all of our Valentine's Day cards and all, anything that, the Father's Day, the Mother's Day stuff—that's all Emmy. That's all Emmy's work too. That's yeah, for fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank you.
0: And Jeremy, uh, what do you what do you do here?
6: Uh, I am the uh, lead rules developer for the game, the game's uh, managing editor, and the lead designer of the player's handbook. And
0: and the sage. Uh, yes. and, the sage. and the sage exactly.
6: Yes. <laughs> yeah, being the sage is uh, really a, an outgrowth of my uh, lead rules developer. Uh, uh,
0: Position, um, but yeah, Sage is a more fun title than yes, lead rules developer. <laughs> Did you fall into that answering those questions on Twitter, or was that more something that uh, uh, you know was assigned or something like that?
6: Oh, so we we talked about it, uh, Mike Merles and I, uh, when Fifth Edition was launching, and we thought, how cool would it be for one of the two lead designers to be the person to answer the questions, uh, because often in the past. Uh, Rules questions would be answered by someone else on staff Mm -hmm. uh, who would often have to guess at what the designer's intent was Mm. or, you know, write up a bunch of questions about the questions to take to the lead designers and say, so what did you guys mean when you did this? So we figured why not cut out the middlemen or women and instead, just have me answer the question. Because, because it's
1: a lot of work.
6: It is a lot of work. <laughs> but it means I can now have a conversation with myself. So, Jeremy, what did we mean by this? <laughs> what,
1: Jeremy? This is so what we meant by this. What Am do I... you do in that situation, though? If there's a question that comes up, is it like, are you like the final say? Or do you go yes. back to the team and say, let's talk about this? I,
6: I'm the, the final say person. Uh, Partly because I was the final say with the core books. Okay,
1: so it, it was, there, you there, know your intention.
6: Exactly. Hopefully. There, 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 really, uh, there really is, yeah, there, the buck stops with me. There are a few cases, though, where in a game as complex as D&D, there are interactions we didn't expect. Right. Where there is yeah. actually no intent uh, and that's a case where then Mike and I will put our heads together and we're like, well, if we had an intent, <laughs> what yeah. would it what be? It right. Yeah, but that, that doesn't come up very often. But it does come up, again, because of how complex the game is and the impossibility, even with over 175,000 playtesters, for us to predict every possible rules interaction.
1: I guess I'm kind of surprised then that it doesn't come up more often with a game like D&D because people can just take it and... Under your direction, even like you don't have to really play by the rules, but you can you know, have you have a lot of freedom with it. That's- what
6: one of the things that uh, saves us from having kind of a, you know month after month of unexpected rules interactions is that the course system is so straightforward. So basically there are fewer interaction points uh, than we had say in the previous two editions because basically the more specific you get with the rules, like every new rule you create, yeah. you've just created a new interaction point. You've mm-hmm. created a new place where another rule can interact with that rule and create something crazy. Yeah. Uh, so by keeping our general rules overhead low, it means we also reduce the number of chances for crazy things to happen. Now. Sometimes the crazy things are awesome. Uh, often yeah. we'll look at some interaction we didn't expect that comes up, and we're like, "Ooh, this is fabulous!" You know, we didn't we didn't expect it. It's a little bonkers. It might even be borderline broken, but everyone loves it. It makes it makes the game more fun. Right. And we sometimes refer to that as uh, as emergent design, uh, <laughs> where the game almost through being played designs itself a little bit. Uh, and
0: that to me is part of the magic of D&D. Have you found that like through your, your rulings or at least you know dealing with it, that, that more of that stuff has now been identified? And would you ever want to then write it in? Uh...
6: Yeah, we, we actually have done a little bit of that through the errata process, although mm-hmm. we're very conservative about changing the rules because we want the game to be as stable as possible. Uh, but uh, Mike and I regularly talk about things that come up in the game, things that we might work into a future product, either as a new rules option or a potential revision or an addition to an existing rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it always needs to pass uh, the test of, you know, the most important one, is it fun? Is mm-hmm. If we add this to the game, is it going to make people's experience better? Yeah. Uh, and because basically the train, the train being the game, has already left the station, we have to make sure we don't destabilize the ride uh, because we want, you know, the game in year three or four to still be as smooth as possible, and not suddenly, you know, it's like, we don't want it rocking back and forth on the train tracks because we started adding too much cargo uh, once after it left the station. Uh, So we're we're very conservative uh, about what we might do to the core game, Uh, but we always have our eye on things that we could add as potential options, Again, as long as they essentially would be new passengers that board the train <laughs> right. and just make the party better. Right. Uh, I'm and, loving this metaphor. <laughs> I know. Me yeah. keep going yeah. with I'm it. going with it. <laughs> We're taking it all the way to the next
4: station.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all the way downtown. Uh, so we wanted to have you guys on to talk about your process in working together on not just the designing of the rules, but the overall visual look of the inside of each one of our books. And most recently, we did that with. Uh, Storm King's Thunder, which got out the door, uh, and then now Volo's Guide to Monsters. Hot on its
6: heels. Hot on its heels. <laughs> yeah, it just it, it's being printed as we speak.
0: I know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We're in the future now. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So it's it was always like, well, I guess, yeah, it, even then it will still be being printed when mm-hmm. this uh, podcast comes out. So uh, it'll be in game stores November 4th. Uh, you'll be able to check it out there. Uh, but... Um, that process just ended. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like uh, in, in the last few months, weeks leading up to uh, getting it out there. So, Emmy, when you're getting stuff uh, that's complete text uh, from, from from Jeremy and the rest of the team, how do you start the process of, of, of putting that on the page?
5: Oh, putting it on the page. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thankfully, when I get it from Jeremy, everything is just... I would almost say pristine compared to how things have been in the past. Because each time we do this, we keep getting better and better and more efficient. So it is just lovely every time we get to start a new book. So um, they've already Years done... Of practice. Yeah, yes. I know. They've already done the heavy lifting, I feel like. Um, they've already know, you know, where things are going to fall. They even call out where the art is actually going to drop. So... Mm-hmm. I just feel like I am handed everything on a silver platter, and I just get to enjoy and make everything pretty. <laughs> it's really nice. It's it's such a joy working with Jeremy and Aww. Kate because they they are like a well oiled machine. They are so good. All <laughs> of you guys
0: together are. I think.
6: Yeah, we,
1: we're very lucky.
0: Yeah,
6: Emmy, em, Kate, and I uh, refer to us so we Voltron together. <laughs> 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 Each time we're finishing a book, because what, what a lot of our listeners might not realize is that for all the books that uh, Wizards of the Coast has produced for 5th edition, uh, starting with the core books, and this includes you know our, our most recent ones, Curse of Strahd, Storm King's Thunder, and Volo's Guide to Monsters, um, it's Emmy, Kate, Irwin, and I, you know, yeah. ourselves manipulating the InDesign files, like placing the art, uh, and if with the core books, we were joined by Brie Heiss... Um, uh, oh, another I graphic we designer. We
1: Hold up in that conference room, that with like times. snack baskets. <laughs> That's right. That crazy That's times. right. <laughs> Candy wrappers everywhere. <laughs>
6: so it's it it's a it's a really kind of wonderful handcrafted experience. And so, at Emmy, as you said, we get better and better because it is it's, it's us yeah. learning each time, uh, and. We think of each book as one of our kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we even tell stories about them. Right. Like We you know, don't like some of them.
5: But <laughs> <laughs> and we really like some of don't them. Don't
6: play favorites with <laughs> our children. We well,
5: love them all equally.
1: Yeah,
6: <laughs> so. Some of them are more so some of them are more troublesome. Uh-huh. And we you know, we send them. we always talk about whenever they leave the building, we're sending them off to school. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And some of them we say, Well, okay, this one, maybe T- is, t- isn't t- going to come home for Thanksgiving, but it's okay if he comes home for Christmas. Oh, <laughs> okay.
5: You give us trouble, but we still mostly love you. <laughs> yeah, mostly. mostly. We got to clean
0: up your act, though. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's yeah. right.
5: So when, I mean, when you're
1: first, the the first sight of the book for you is text. It like is like a text document
5: from Jeremy. It is. Um, there, he receives a text document, and then Jeremy actually. Is it Jeremy? Or yeah. Is it? Yeah. 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 Jeremy I, drops it all into the InDesign file, so there's a flow to the text oh, that's already there. Oh, you do that part?
6: So uh, either I do it or someone else uh, working for us does it. Okay. Uh, Type setter. And, oh, okay. and then I go through and uh, usually at this point I've completed my game development pass uh, the story is stable mm-hmm. uh, and at this point I start making cuts so that the book will flow the way we want it to, that it will land on the pages uh, we want it to land on. Uh, I, it's it's at this stage we start what we refer to as uh, Yeah, <laughs> we, we do a lot no, of we zhuzhing.
1: Sean and I had a very long conversation about how to spell zhuzhing Zhuzh. and we had both seen it written in the same article at the same time and we could not remember what article we saw it in but it was
6: I think it's Z H U Z H I think yeah post yeah. it on
5: a yeah.
6: so what's the definition of juzing it's, it's just it's basically make, making um, small adjustments to improve the beauty of something finessing uh, oh, you're okay. finessing it yeah. uh and cuz and we like that word cuz we do over over the course of our final month on a book like most recently Volo's guide to monsters uh we I mean, we probably do thousands of little sort of like micro changes uh, where we are changing the text, changing the size of pieces of art, moving art from one page to another, uh, and then Emmy, because you're always so modest and undersell what you do. You, you <laughs> make it sound like we give you everything pre- prefabricated, and it's you insane. just kind of move stuff around I'm and like, it's like, done. Oh, just but
5: open the file, shut the file. I think I did good. <laughs> yeah, but our, but our, our listeners,
6: our listeners don't know that uh, like you and Brie handmade the drop caps that are at the mm-hmm. beginning of each of our chapters, that those...
5: I didn't even know that. Yeah,
6: those color splotches. Emmy!
5: Yeah. Yeah, I go home at the night and make all these little weird ink blots, and then yeah. we put <laughs> those, it in the book. So nice. <laughs> that's Seriously? for you guys. Yes. All those yeah. swatches,
6: Emmy Emmy does by hand, <laughs> scans them in and then places them. Oh
5: my them. God. Wait,
0: you did really, you did that with, with yeah. what'd you use? What was your, the medium just, there?
5: Um, sometimes watercolor, whatever paints I have lying around at home. And I just make this giant mess at home with all these papers everywhere. And, Watch some trashy TV. Let's
0: maybe. do that yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I that's know. the important part, is the, is the trashy TV. That A really gets
5: drink and some trashy
1: TV. The <laughs> right
0: amount of, of randomness nice. on the page. So that's
1: like really like wine. That's not blood, that's wine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: For Curse cursive it was like it could be both. You, know, yeah. you never know. Yeah.
6: <laughs> Tra- trashy TV in the book production process oh. is often key. There was, the, <laughs> there was I think it was the Dungeon Master's guide when uh-huh. we were when we were finishing the layout for it and Emmy. Kate and Bree and I were were in, in a meeting room. I think it was almost two weeks. Oh, we had in yeah. the background playing uh, the TV show Scandal, and I think we, <gasps> I think we made it through like, like one yeah. or two entire seasons.
1: It was, wow. Are you serious? Yes. Jeremy introduced That's me. That's my to treadmill show. Yes, <laughs> it's the best treadmill show. Yes,
5: yeah, yeah. 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 So it's, own ad, it's their own adventure. We, oh, how it's... funny.
6: We waited. We waited every episode for the the requisite point where someone in the show would say he or I am the leader of the free world oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> they all have to talk yes. like this
1: yes very positive I'm always,
0: <laughs> I always wait for the moment where there's like alright popcorn and red wine we're done oh, yeah. Yeah. that's it that's yeah. all we needed for the oh, end of the show and her white flowy coat oh, oh, always yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. a white flowy coat I'm convinced that that is all that Olivia Pope eats or drinks oh. <laughs> it's just popcorn and red wine that's she yep. needs <laughs>
4: Subtle dieting tips. Uh, (laughs)
0: Thanks, Kerry Washington. (laughs) That's awesome. So that, that that was on in the background as you guys were putting all the uh, the stuff together. Guide. Really
1: yep. Yeah. Scandal. Bolas, what was what would be your TV show background TV show oh, f- I to represent? Oh, we didn't have this one. was on. pretty
5: gentle. I mean, yeah. Bolo's went really also, nicely. So Bolo is coming
1: home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah.
5: Oh, yeah. Not leaving. I think he might uh, no. hold on tight to
0: Bolo's guys. Yeah. yeah. Go to a
5: local yeah. school. He can yep. go to a local community college <laughs> and we'll
1: be fine. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Come over for weekly dinners. You we want to give him some space. But. Yeah.
4: yeah. But we'll do,
5: do, do his laundry.
6: Yeah I think I
0: think
6: part we I think we liked Volo's guide uh, so much partly because we love doing monster books. Yeah. Uh, oh my I mean gosh. yeah the monster manual was so much, so fun. much fun for us. So fun. And so Volo's guide to monsters was a chance for us to go back to that because one of the fun things about a monster book is each monster page is this piece of micro design, and when it in terms of layout, mm-hmm. and we we basically get to like have each one be this finished work of art, mm. and then when we're done, we get to be happy about it, yeah. and and so it's it's basically, I mean, just from a, like a human satisfaction point, we have like. <laughs> all these win points it's like oh and now this monster was a win and now this other monster is a win so it's just just a lot of satisfaction of you know in the monster manual it fits on a
5: page yeah exactly that's a success for us yes it fits on a page yeah (laughs) making
6: making a monster book often the biggest challenge is getting each monster with its art and its text and its stat block to all fit on its page or its it's spread of pages. It right. It gets more than one. And you
0: had mentioned, uh, uh, cutting, uh, and sometimes in order to make that work, uh, does that, as also the designer and writer of some of these rules, does that feel terrible? Um, I'm, I'm
6: pretty good. I mean, cause gosh, I've now, I've now been working on D and D at wizards for almost 10 years. I'm pretty good that basically when I switch between roles mm. of shutting That's off like my attachment. So when I transition from, uh, being a designer developer to being the managing editor, uh, I'm actually often the most vicious cutting things (laughs) I wrote myself or things I developed myself. Uh, Partly because I know it inside and out, so I know really where the load-bearing elements are and where Mm -hmm. the pieces are that really we could live without. Um, I'm actually way more cautious when I am having to cut work that's entirely by somebody else because I will always make sure I understand it inside and out. I try to understand it at least as well as them, if not better, so that I make sure I don't, you know, accidentally uh, deal a mortal wound, uh, right, to like, the design as I'm making cuts. You don't want
0: to cut out the heart of it. You just want to make sure you're cutting out the, 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 the extraneous nails. parts. Yeah. The fingernails. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I
6: always, what I always say to uh, Emmy when we're at this stage in a book is that I, what I'm always attempting to do is I'm attempting to give the book a haircut. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to cut any limbs off or remove any internal organs. Just let's give it, give it a, a nice do. Nice. Exactly. Yeah
5: and i want to wow. say that it is like watching a miracle happen if we if we could record it and just show it you know it's like i'll be like jeremy this is how much leftover text i have it's not fitting but you know we want to keep the art big and beautiful and you see him it's like he just goes into this mode where he scans it he looks over it and he'll be like do this or he'll do 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 i'm typing with my fingers and he <laughs> just um it's just magnificent to watch like you just see him analyze it and he knows I need to do this. And he'll cut this, and it fits. It is just, he knows it's so good inside and out, and he's so um, thoughtful of keeping the art there, keeping the whole look, and keeping the whole flow. If you can imagine, how big was this, 240?
4: 56,
6: Yeah, listeners, we actually have a copy of Vola's Guide to right. Monsters right here on the table. Uh, we well, a little
5: post-it note. 224 pages. 224 pages. If you can imagine affecting one thing and having everything else follow it. Be affected so he keeps yeah. all of that in mind as he works and it is just beautiful to watch it's an art form
1: <laughs> oh. are you working in order like from page one to two to three or are you kind of jumping all over the book when you're doing this
5: we do have them in chapters yeah. and then so jeremy when it gets closer to the end jeremy and i will start kind of tag teaming it back and forth as he's like okay i'm in this chapter don't touch it good i'm in this chapter don't touch it <laughs> so yeah it works pretty nicely. So oh, when you guys, cut... Oh, sorry.
0: You guys are working in the same file, right? The same InDesign file. Yes. So you don't want to mess up other parts of it. That's mm-hmm. okay. So that makes mm-hmm. perfect sense yeah. now. Go ahead. What are we going to ask? When
1: you cut things, are they like really gone for good? Or do you kind of keep them somewhere in a little Word file? If,
0: if they're really
6: <laughs> good, I save them. <laughs> and, and often material I cut ends up appearing in a later book. Yeah. Uh, so the, the best stuff never really dies. Uh, we will often fold it into something else. I mean, there were... Because we were working on uh, Storm King's Thunder and uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters in tandem, there were actually some things that we realized weren't going to fit in Volo's Guide. So I actually cut them early, and then they went into Storm King's Thunder. Oh.
4: oh! Uh,
6: so there's some there's some Uthgart Barbarian stuff in Storm King's Thunder okay. that was originally designed for Volo's Guide to Monsters, but we figured out, whoop, there's no room in that book, but there's room in this other book. And hey, the Uthgart are already in that book. So I'm always looking for ways that we can uh, use the design we've That's done uh, someplace else, so that basically we're not we're not losing our, any of our good work.
1: Mm-hmm. That is Who cool. wrote both Storm King Thunders and uh, Volos?
6: So uh, the bulk of the writing uh, of Storm King's Thunder was Chris Perkins. Uh, what the hell? I know Chris okay. is amazing. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> but uh, Volos Volos <laughs> Guide to Monsters uh, was. Uh, Big group of people, uh, because since this book had not only a bunch of new monsters in it, Mm -hmm. but also new playable races, but then also a ton of monster lore. uh, Here we marshaled a whole group of writers uh, who, in all of the initial stages, were led by Mike Merles. Uh, So there was Mike contributed uh, almost actually everyone who's written at some point or another on the team contributed something to the book, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we even had. uh, some freelancers join us aw- as well, uh, freelancers including uh, Steve Winter, uh, who worked oh, on Tyranny really? of Dragons. That's yeah, great. Yeah.
1: So, when you say, when you have different people working on it, are, are you assigning them monsters to flesh out, or do they get to come back to you and say, I'm going to make a new monster and this is what I want it to be? And...
6: So, it was really fun actually for Volo's guide uh, for, the, for the part of the book that's essentially an extension of the monster manual. Uh, we had an initial. It was almost like drafting a sports team, we, where it was it was Mike Merles, Chris Perkins, me, and Chris Lindsay, and so this this group of us, we put up on a board, uh, post it notes of the monsters we wanted to be in this book, okay. and then we started doing sort of a culling, and you know. Different people could uh, shoot down other people's ideas, but we were also allowed each to. I don't remember the exact number, but we each had a certain number of monsters where we could protect and basically Sometimes say, saves. Yeah, like these, this monster is. I'll give like, you this rose. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yep. yep.
6: So somehow I, I was, I was. Uh, I was uh, talking with Mike, and as I was finalizing the book, and, and I, I did not pull any strings to make this happen, but I was somehow like every monster I wanted made it into the book, so I was happy. Somehow, somehow. <laughs> we have no <laughs> idea how that <laughs> happened. That's really amazing, amazing. I the managing
1: editor wanted. <laughs> 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 I think
6: I think I think Mike was just being very gracious. So. Oh. Did yeah. you kill
1: his monsters?
0: No. Oh, Most no. of them. Yeah, they're no. out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no. Everything yeah. Chris
0: Lindsay wanted, I out.
1: would love to just sit no,
6: and no, listen Chris,
0: to one of these. So, so
6: like, uh, it's funny because I can remember some of the people's choices. The grung are in this book because that was one of Chris Lindsay's He's protected saved. choices. That was his <laughs> <save>. <laughs> He gave the rose to the grung. Oh, I, love <laughs> I love that. This yeah. is the
1: best metaphor ever. <laughs> yeah. Even better is, than trains. W-
6: which is going to make a lot of people happy because the grung are... are they are a strange mix of crazy cute and very deadly. Okay. You know, cause there's these uh, these little frog people who are very poisonous.
0: Just like Emmy.
4: Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little less
0: cute, but uh, <laughs> yeah, just the deadly part was what I was what I was going for. When yeah.
1: did this process start? Where that uh, you guys were nailing down what monsters were going to be in this book?
0: Uh, let's see.
6: That was toward the end of last year.
1: Okay, because I know because you have and then get the artwork. Uh So then Kate takes this list and finds artists to create Mm -hmm. these monsters.
6: And uh, this is uh, the first time for us since the release of the core books that we actually had a number of the art pieces done in house. Uh, so our concept artists, oh, really? uh, Richard Shanley. Witters and uh, Sh- uh, and Sean Wood, mm-hmm. uh, the two of them not only did the concept art for a number of these monsters, but then did the finished art as well that the appears in the Good. book. Yeah? Oh, that's cool. yeah. So cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So if you go in the 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 mini monster manual portion Aww. of the book, you'll see a lot of work by uh, Richard and Sean. So
1: what's this mini monster manual? So
6: so. The and and this actually goes to part of why the book was so fun for me and Emmy to work on is the book in a way is like three books in one. Uh, the first big chapter of it is, uh, a big chapter of lore. Or we sometimes refer to it as Volos Field Guide, okay. where it digs really deep into the cultures of a number of the monsters that appear in the Monster Manual. Like it does, it does a deep dive into orc culture. It goes into oh, the okay. ins and outs of what it's like to be a mind flayer. And among them, mm-hmm. uh, it has you know layer maps for many of these groups. Um, and so that's a it's a really story rich part of the book and is meant to inspire uh dms in their storytelling and in their world building yeah the the next part of the book is then a a collection of new playable races so it's like a an extension of the race chapter in the player's handbook Mm. uh and this this includes races uh like the tabaxi the cat people uh and which I know a lot of people will oh love and some people will hate. <laughs> 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 uh, the, the book also has an expanded uh, treatment of the Asimar. uh you know, who are are have celestial heritage, appear as a sample race in the Dungeon Master's Guide. So we decided to fully flesh them out in this book. And they even now have sub-races. Oh, wow. um, and then the third chapter of the book uh, is... This is the one that we refer to as the Mini Monster Manual, uh, where the pages even look like pages from the okay. Monster Manual. It looks like you could cut them out yeah, and I put them that's in what the I've Monster seen. Manual. I've
1: seen, I've seen pages from that. Yeah, okay.
6: and and that's where there's a whole host of monsters, many of which are from the game's past. Like we, you know, we brought we're bringing monsters forward from you know the original Fiend Folio. Uh, even some monsters from the original Monster Manual that didn't oh, nice. make the cut in yeah, I was the fifth ask edition Monster when, Manual. If
1: you were cutting monsters out of the Monster Manual, knowing that they were there, there was potential for them to show up in another
6: book. Yeah, in mm-hmm. fact, a number of the monsters in this book were originally designed for the Monster Manual, oh, and we had to cut them uh, for space reasons, but it, they're now appearing in this book. Uh, the Elder Brain, for instance, was originally designed for the Monster Manual and now appears in Folo's Guide.
0: So those are all definitely examples where you cut stuff and then you're yeah. like yeah. earmarking yep. them yeah. for later yeah. because you knew they were good enough and and, and deserve to be in, you know uh, seen by the public. Exactly. Yeah,
6: uh, the book uh, also mirroring the Monster Manual uh, has a an appendix of additional NPCs. So the Monster Manual uh, toward the end has a bunch of uh, non-player characters for people to use. Oh, cool. Uh, this book has additional non-player characters for to so, use. Uh, for instance, we now have uh, yes, NPC versions of uh, all the different wizard schools. And, yeah, as you mentioned, Emmy, <laughs> we also have the wizard apprentice. And, and you're laughing. Jeremy. Yes, you're <laughs> laughing because for the longest time as we were working on the book, there was a caption next to the apprentice wizard that just simply said,
0: Jeremy. <laughs> oh. Oh. So How did that get in there? So did you do that?
5: <laughs> oh, well, we had to take it out. but yes. um, No,
0: but who put it in originally? Oh, we, we
5: put it in there to, as kind of a placeholder, like, Jeremy, write some text, please, you know, yeah. so he'd like see it. But it was just so sweet to see his name right there. Oh. And he, the apprentice looks so sweet. And Jeremy has a story about <laughs> the print, encountering NPC apprentices. Yes.
6: So the the apprentice wizard in the book is super cute because, I mean, it's, it's a kid. Right. Uh And we expect in many campaigns, this apprentice will be used as a friendly NPC, someone who helps you out. Um, But we also know in some games, the NPCs are used as foes. But this kid looks so cute that I I started saying very darkly that there's going to be some group where someone in the group is killed, and then the DM is going to show the picture of what just killed them, and is basically, and you were just killed by this kid.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> <The laughs> <princess. laughs> you know, in Betrayal at House on the Hill, that's very common. Yes. A yeah. kid would be the one well, to murder in you.
6: horror. It's always the kids who are the scariest. They're very scary. <laughs> I think they're all innocent the
1: triggers. They're oh. just creepy. Six-year-olds walking Not around. Not so much. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: the, uh, so the first part of that book is where the conceit of Volo's uh, voice is talking about all of these, these lore, right? And then there's also tidbits from uh, Elminster as yes. well, correct? Yeah. So what was it like designing the page and having those two voices be in there at the same time?
5: Oh, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, so in the book, there they have Elminster's voice and Volo's voice, like Greg said, and they're... Um, distinct by we use little scraps of paper as kind of graphics to kind of break them apart they're like little notes in his field guide and Volo will you know have some information written down and then you'll kind of see Elminster's note kind of squished nearby him saying well you know his opinion (laughs) or something so it's this really fun Little addition, a little graphic to the book that we added without, and the challenge was making sure that these notes stood out, that you know they were separate from the rest of the body text, but they didn't look too cluttered. Mm. So it was kind of finding that balance, and I think it turned out pretty well.
0: Yeah, how, how many yeah. zhuzhes did it take? There was, <laughs> there was a lot of There was lot a of lot of
5: And um, actually, near the end, um, there were like you know, Elminster's actually symbol is a little bit more squished banana shape and I had kind of made it a little bit too moon shape. so, you know, don't worry too much about that. Squished <laughs> <laughs> banana versus moon shape. Banana It's a subtle difference. yeah. But and, yeah. And
6: one one great thing too about those uh, quotes from Volo and Elminster is they were all written by Ed Greenwood himself. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. We that's awesome. Yeah, we contacted Ed, sent him a copy of the whole book, and then oh. a- after we after we had written it, and then had him go through and write commentary oh by God. Volo I'm, and I'm Elminster so on bad. what we had actually written.
0: When we had him on the podcast a few mo- weeks ago or a month ago, I was like, man, it really does feel like you're talking to the sage of Shadowdale. <laughs> yep, he yeah, yeah. can very easily embody both of those uh, those personalities very easily.
6: And the the book also opens with a preface by Volo and then with commentary by Elminster, and Ed wrote that as
0: well. That's
5: awesome. It's super
1: cool. What is Volo's full name? I just learned he had his so Volo, Volo as short Thamp. for... Yeah, let's learn that from
0: Volothamp Getarn? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm uh, gonna name my third child Volothamp, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Before he decided. Yeah, volotito just yes, sounds there too good. Is. Yeah, we're yeah. looking oh yeah, that's oh, great. Oh yeah. 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 Just the guy what, you what want to picture him to look like. Just the guy you want to guide you through the uh dangers of the Forgotten Realms.
1: So how many monsters exist in the D D world like, in the history of forty years, how <laughs> oh many God. monsters are we talking about? I now? don't.
6: I don't know the count, but it is thousands? hundreds. Of, yeah, hundreds. Actually, if you include all of the variations in third and fourth edition, yeah, we're up to thousands.
1: Thousands of monsters. Yes. How do you cull this down?
6: Well, for for the Monster Manual and now uh, Volo's Guide, our focus has been. Uh, Bringing forward classics, yeah, uh, and then mixing in uh, some more recent monsters, especially ones that fill a niche in uh, sort of the ecology of the D and D multiverse. Um, But we always want to make sure that we are being sort of good shepherds to. Uh, the beloved oldies, right. uh, because often they're the the creatures that people most associate with D and D. Yeah, you know, like with the Monster Manual, it just wouldn't be D and D if we didn't have like mind flayers and beholders and or dragons or, and, or yeah, yeah, and specifically our you know our dragon varieties yeah. and, and our in our giant varieties. Uh, so we have, it's amazing as we go through the earlier earlier editions. I mean, we honestly could just keep bringing forward classics. Okay. and And not run out, uh, although as as we demonstrate in in Volo's guide, there's also plenty of room for us to create new monsters as well.
1: yeah, so let's talk about some new monsters. Let's see.
6: I'm trying to think what new ones I'd want to reveal at this point. yeah, mm.
0: what about you, Emmy? I know you're you always want to reveal new and exciting things that Just no one ever it. gets we'll, to have.
1: Well'll ask Ryan to bleep it out. Oh it's say like... it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me story. Story. Tell me what's your favorite yeah.
5: monster.
6: <laughs> I'm now imagining you're shining a you're shining a light on her, and this is yeah. A, yeah. an interrogation room. I'm
5: like, um, I don't know, the yes hound because <laughs> of his face. Yeah.
6: <laughs> but know. again, that's an oldie that we uh-huh. that we're reviving. I don't.
4: Yeah. Uh, but
6: yeah, it's funny actually. Some of the some of the oldies feel like new monsters uh, because we've flushed out their stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. uh you know, sometimes a new painting of a monster will make you see a familiar monster in an entirely new light because you know the painting might have more personality yeah, than you're used like the to seeing.
1: Artists might have a be inspired or yeah. yeah weird interpretation. Yeah,
0: one of those is uh, for me for Fifth Edition uh, was in the original Monster Manual, but the um, the mimic the the, mm. the 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 painting oh. for that I feel like has now cemented what I will always think of it uh, uh, from now on because it's just such a uh, uh, iconic imagery of it, you know, and then it's been created in in dice bags and things through, you know, Ultraplow has made them and it's just, you know. Is that an old one? Yep, that's another old one.
5: That was an interesting one, so I don't know if you want to say it, but this is... um, The Devourer. Yeah, The Devourer. It was interesting to see because it, um, at least to see the artists reconcepting this idea, like, you know, just to walk past him and they get these descriptions of he's like this kind of crazy, is he a demon kind of?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And he's got, you know, these are the traits he has to have and how do they interpret it? And you would see just the artist taking a jab at it and they would come across like these most disgusting, like crazy ideas. And then you'd hear, um, I don't know if you were in on those discussions, but I'd hear them go, no, that's too gross. Or you (laughs) got to tone that down. And it was just so cool to see. So um, it's really the art where it's come to is just this amazing monster that you wouldn't ever want to encounter. But it is. Really awesome looking. Yeah.
0: Describe it a little bit. What does it look like?
5: Oh, I <laughs> want to hear your take on it. Here. Yeah, we'll show you the devourer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, right. okay, so the so
0: devourer. <laughs> it's funny enough because I saw Sean uh, Wood look, working on this uh, just the other day. And, th- and uh, this
6: is one of uh, his finished pieces. Oh, really? okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. So,
0: this is from Sean Wood. It's great. It's like a very tall, uh, skeleton like creature uh, with a skin and horn, uh, bony uh, protrusions out on all of its insides. But the, probably the most striking thing is that in its rib cage is uh, a live adult, uh, looks like an elf, uh, inside the Devourer that's kind of trapped inside the rib cage. So it, I assume the Devourer had eaten him, and then you can see it kind of trying to Ugh. escape from the entrails inside the monster.
4: Yeah.
5: got a little buddy.
1: And yeah. <laughs> Save it for a, later. It's a,
0: oh, it's a friend of Orcus. That makes perfect sense.
1: And oh, it, Orcus has friends? <laughs> yeah, little <No>, friend. <laughs> <laughs> so Orcus, Orcus cheats because oh.
6: since he makes all these undead, he's basically that sad mm-hmm. guy who doesn't actually have friends, so he makes his
0: friends.
4: Oh yeah.
6: Yeah.
4: yeah.
0: But yeah, the well, all of his friends are dead, so he's like, "All right, come back up you guys. We'll <laughs> hang out and drink some more." Exactly. that
4: <laughs> is huge. That, the, the
0: devourer nice.
6: is a great example of how an artist uh, can take a familiar monster oh. and make it feel new because Ed, in the Devourer, when it first appeared in Planescape, um, although actually it might have been even before that, sometimes had actually a dark, uh, not exactly regal quality, but there, there, it was like it was holding itself together. It was it, it was a little re- reminiscent of the uh, the guy with all the nails in his face in was, uh, in oh, the old yeah. Hellraiser movies, oh, okay. uh, where you know, scary, but kind of. Together, yeah, uh, you know, sort of powerful, powerful Sort of, ha, you know, knows how to comport itself. Uh, this, <laughs> I love that you're saying
0: he's a monster, but he's he's got it together.
4: Yeah, yeah. he knows yeah. he knows yeah. what's classy up. Guy. He's a
0: hipster. Monster. He's a classy guy. <laughs> he's wearing a blazer. Totally, you know, it's totally, you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd want to drink some wine with
6: <laughs> yeah. <Yeah. Whereas> him. This, <laughs> yeah. this, this this devourer is 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 way more feral. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, that's and, feral. And and, and horrifying. Uh, you know, just like you see this and it's like, oh my, yuck.
5: He's going to eat me. He, yeah, he did does
6: not do have that. it together. Yeah. He didn't
1: know. <laughs> Who's writing the art orders for these guys?
6: Uh, let's see. For this book, uh, each of the writers contributed to the book's art order. Oh, okay. I for I some of our books, there's a single person who writes the art order for the whole thing. But for this one, uh, each designer, as they wrote their portion of the book, uh, would also provide uh, an art description uh, for whatever monster or other thing that they were writing about. Uh, and then in the end, uh, Chris Perkins, Kate Irwin, and I went through all those descriptions, and we helped synthesize them uh, to make it so that the book would feel like yeah, a
0: cohesive whole. Exactly. Mm.
1: It's no small feat. So that's
0: one thing you mentioned and now you know looking at the whole finished product uh, uh, how important is that to you to make it feel like you know because I, I feel like with a book like this it could feel very disparate mm. like you know with all the different parts that are thrown into it it could feel like not uh, cohesive at all so how how did you achieve the way it all feels like oh yeah this this is a product so uh, part of that is through the development
6: of our books look i mean this is this is something we created uh for the core books and so we build on that to make sure that there's a particular style to the text uh kate when she's commissioning art makes sure the art has a particular style where the art not only looks like it will be at home uh, with each other but also at home with how our pages look and then uh a lot of the magic that Emmy brings uh, to the book uh, is <laughs> by not only placing the art and in text in, in a way that's pleasing to the eye, but a lot of the splotches that are in the background and the colors that they have uh, often will... Cause all the pieces to look connected in a way that they wouldn't if those artistic elements weren't there. Mm. Uh, Emmy will also often do color corrections in the art so that the the book so that the art overall will be more on a common palette. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, Emmy never sort of compromises the yeah, artist's yeah. vision, no. but
0: doesn't tame blue to green or you know right. anything like that. It's Although we
6: did oh, act- we did belts. actually change someone's hair color for but this book. But it looks better. Yes.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I won't
6: say who, but there was.
5: I'm yes, <laughs> She was just she a be different stage in life. life. Yes. She yes. just, it was a different occasion. Yeah. <laughs> it works.
0: She yeah. needed to try something Summer different. Days. Yeah. 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 Like, so yeah, I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit about like, what is it? Well, how do you, you take the, the different images and the different elements and make sure it all feels as one?
5: Um, like Jeremy said, I think the splotches, when we fell upon that kind of um, graphic asset that we could use to it, I think that really... Helps pull everything together. We stick with a fairly limited uh, color palette. In the beginning, you know, I give Kate a bunch of options and designs and say which one works well. And so she goes through and she'll say, let's stick with, um, say, for Storm King's Thunder, we stick with a lot of grays, blues, you know, that sort of thing. And then for Volo's Guide, early on, we had decided that there's going to be the three parts that Jeremy had mentioned. And we're like, wouldn't it be fun if we kind of like, you know gave a little nod back to our core books of the monster manual and everything so they're not exactly the same but still we picked up a lot of the existing elements from Mm -hmm. our previous books so we're still trying to keep all of the books all of our fifth edition family together without going too crazy but still giving each book kind of their own personality Mm -hmm. so i think we started off especially with the core books having kind of a really nice base to go off on and like we said, it only gets better and better from here. Yeah.
0: And I love the fact that people may not, uh, when they're consuming these books, may not think about any of this stuff. But it's it's like a, a unconscious feeling when you when you're when you're looking through it and flipping through that you that you'll feel like, Oh yeah, this this it, this, is all it, right. it, this, this book's got it. It's got <laughs> it together. You know? Yeah. And, and and it's the elements that you're talking about. It's where like in Kirchhoff Strahd it was the the kind of bloodstained splotches mm-hmm. that kind of went from pieces of art to the text and it made them feel together and, and Uh, Storm King's Thunder, it was the runes kind of motif that kind of felt like it unified everything. And in this, it's got that same, you know, thing with the splotches, to make making it work. So, I don't know.
5: It's it's good stuff. As long as the readers, you know, they're not only encaptured by the words, the story, and the rules. Like, if they just look at this and they feel satisfied, that's perfectly fine. They don't need to go, oh my god, look at this perfect little graphic. Like, as long as they feel content. Like, this was a good experience (laughs) overall. That's that's all I can ask it, for, and it, that is so a wonderful feeling
6: yeah, yeah exactly because we we will sometimes get asked uh, in in different ways by people if it if it ever concerns us that some of the the very detailed work we do doesn't get noticed uh, by many of our customers yeah. and what I often like to say is we don't do it for them to notice each of these little details in fact, we don't want them to see each of the details individually what we want is for them to have a a feeling right. about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't
1: know why if it's good, you yes. just know it's good. Exactly. Like yeah. you can't say like these look like somebody yeah. went home and spilled wine on a piece <laughs> of parchment paper. I can see
0: uh, at least four <laughs> examples of juge on this page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't
1: notice the juge. Yeah. Feel the no, juge. no, it's a good looking. It's an aesthetically right. pleasing book.
0: Yeah. To yeah. me, so. the the analogy that makes sense and kind of crystallized this for me was like the score of an action movie, mm-hmm. where like you don't really think about. Each, you know, oh, that's a violin. I can hear that violin, and that's awesome. Like, yeah. it, you know, you're just watching the action of what's happening. In a book like this, you're getting your imagination sparked. You're feeling like, oh, mm-hmm. I can use this in my game. We're actually just using it at the table itself. And, you know, the little parts of it don't even enter into your brain, but they just make it feel like a more pleasant experience.
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Well, good
0: job. Good job, you guys.
3: <laughs> it's I'm job. doing that.
1: But I do remember, like, it seems like more than any other products I remember being involved in or working on, and I don't mean, like, I was involved, like, I was actually, like, laying out these books. But you gotta watch Like it all I happen. was actually, like, reading reviews of the core rule books and stuff. And it seemed like more than ever, people actually were calling out that these books were beautiful. Mm. And I don't remember ever, like, really that being part of why somebody loved something that we published. Like, the rules are good, or this and that. I like this character. But people really were glomming on to, like, these are really attractive books. So, again slow clap yeah <laughs> slow clap that's the best feeling. love it <laughs> good job thank
6: you thank you and, uh, and the the thing is is as much as it's satisfying that, that people have enjoyed how the books look we're always looking at ways to improve uh, and yeah, i have mean, got there, a few ideas i mean i got a well, <laughs> laundry list of
0: ways that we can make this better know to make a list good. on how yeah. other people can be better yeah. <laughs> never myself no it's never this book, yeah. loses lose 10 pounds. Um, yeah.
2: But it's,
6: it, it's actually, it's it's similar to how we shepherd the rules for the game. Uh, there are sometimes some wild things that pop into my head where I'm like, well, it would be nice to do this with this book. But we don't go quite that crazy because it's important to us that the the books have a cohesiveness to them, that they feel like they're all part of a family. Uh, so like with rules evolution, that's something we're doing in a, in a measured, careful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if if people pay close attention to our books, they will notice little things changing in the layout uh, from book to book. I mean, look, in Volo's Guide to Monsters, there's actually a new uh, treatment to chapter openers uh, that's, yeah. diff- really? that, that's <laughs> different from our other books. Uh, and so we're always doing little experiments like that. And then if things stick, oh, oh, uh, oh. they they become a part of...
0: Are are sort of ongoing exactly. That is cool. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we've been talking a lot about the design of the book, but uh, uh, how do you think people are going to use this in their game? Like, what's what do you think would be, uh, you know, the best way to to integrate this, uh, or you know, what's your favorite monster? What's the monster that you're going to want to get into and drop into your own uh, uh, play right now?
6: Uh, I think, um, as I mentioned before, some DMs are going to really groove on all the monster lore. Uh, I'm expecting there'll be whole campaigns built on just some of the information about some of these monsters. Like I could see a DM reading through the hobgoblins, I mean, the, the goblin section um, where there's information on hobgoblins, goblins, bugbears, etc and creating an entire campaign just based on that. And Ooh, then cool. when they're done with that, they could go to the Mind Flayer section and build an entire yeah, campaign. the Mind Flayer is
0: the one that's fascinating to me. And no, it's so gross. Yeah. Um, Ugh, their whole life cycle. Ugh.
6: And also, oh, God, speaking of gross... I, I'm terrified of snakes in real life. And this book ended up because of the U1T <laughs> oh, with yeah. so much snake stuff in it. We we so turn to another part of the book and I'd be like, oh my god, more <laughs> snakes. Oh, yeah, right. More uh, uh, the the playable races. I think people are yeah. they're going to be people are going to love like awesome. using That's those. So much fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, we haven't even you know revealed all the ones that are in here. You know, it also includes uh, races like the Kenku. Uh, which I think you know, people I are going to have fun King. playing. Yeah, uh, and then the monster section will be the part that will be easiest for people to pick up and use because it, a DM, you know, in the midst of a campaign, can just take those monsters and start dropping them in. Uh, and it is a uh, really varied uh, collection of monsters. Uh, you know, there there are uh, creatures of all sorts of different types. You know, new fiends, new undead. Uh, You know, beasts, uh, including dinosaurs, you know, through the roof. Um, uh, Lots of stuff that DMs will be able to take and drop into their campaigns. Uh, You know, I mentioned the Elder Brain before, the Grung. uh, The Froggy Moth of all things is back.
4: Uh, Sweet. Yes. So
6: there are going to be some oldies that people are going to just really love seeing. Uh, there are also some new uh, good creatures because not all of these monsters, just like with the Monster Manual, not all of these monsters are meant to be foes. Uh, some of them are meant to be allies as well. Um, and I think the new NPC appendix, uh, like like its a sibling yeah. in the Monster Manual, is going to see a lot of use. And
0: I feel like that is great for uh, our adventure writing going forward because yes. the bold you know bolded thing of like oh a scout or mm-hmm. an archer those are you know a little bit limited as far as what the uh, you know the monster it was and now there'll be so many more of those and i can't wait for just to be like enter the apprentice you know yes. <laughs> right here and uh, have him take out the rest of the party <laughs> <laughs>
6: well and and, and uh, speaking of utility to dms and also to our adventure writers we built that npc's uh, appendix Uh, not only to fill some uh, story gaps that were left by the Monster Manual appendix, but also to fill some challenge rating gaps uh, Mm. because our NPCs in the Monster Manual tend overall to have pretty low challenge ratings. And so we wanted there to be some NPCs for DMs to use uh, uh, in the higher levels of play. And so this appendix people will see includes... Uh, some pretty powerhouse NPCs uh, who could serve as really mighty foes or mm. mighty friends, uh, all on their own.
0: Makes sense.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. I so what? Uh, what player race are you gonna try first in Lolo's um, Guide?
5: I'm just gonna say that I recently played as a goblin, and I think it's almost gonna be my new favorite.
4: Race.
0: Really?
5: Yeah, because really? I love playing as halflings. And then you get to be a goblin, which is like an even more vicious halfling. So it's like the best thing in the world. <laughs> so I would I love to have a game with yeah. like a band of goblins. That would be like the coolest thing. Oh, that would oh
0: that'd be like your gang, like your gang yeah, of goblins. Yeah, like
5: who wants to play a group, a party of goblins? I do. <laughs> I would be in that party. That'd be fun. It just
6: cause tons that would of <laughs> trouble.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right? it'll be our like, uh, be fun. Uh, you know. Uh, I, 1950s greaser yeah. uh, the uh, the running outsiders. through the Farleyton rounds. The Outsiders, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. that'd be, be cool. Nice. Yeah, I think well, me and Shelley were both when Emmy was talking about uh, more, vicious <laughs> more vicious version <laughs> of the Halfling. I'm like, well, if the Halflings aren't that vicious. I was like, Wait, Apparently the way you, I'm you have know. a different concept of the Hobbit than we do. <laughs> I think. He <We> got business <laughs> done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: oh, awesome. Do
0: well, thanks you guys so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us. It's always fun to like, delve into uh, oh. uh, the making of, of what these books do, and it's, our, our listeners don't usually get uh, that insight into into the, the process. So, <laughs> thanks.
1: Yeah, Thank it's you been for great. Having us yeah, anytime.
0: Yay. Where can uh, people find you on uh, on the twitters there, Jeremy?
6: Uh, Jeremy E. Crawford on Twitter
0: and then you can ask him all kinds of questions and uh, he'll eventually get to them. Yes, I do my best. <laughs> Not necessarily, you know, that day or the next week, but you'll get to them. Yeah,
6: yeah. I, I sometimes have to deal with them in big batches because often if I'm on deadline on a book or if just simply too many questions are coming in at once, it's it can be hard to stay on top of them. But, yeah, I do my best to get to as many of them as I can. So
0: and then, they of course...
1: tweet at you these questions or is there a hashtag they should be using or... Uh, they, just,
6: they, they just just tweet to me. Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, and then, of course, you can check out Sage Advice uh, uh-huh. every month. Yep, on, uh, on the D and D website. Yep, uh, and it's also on Dragon Plus, so you can check it out there. I mean, are you? I don't know. Are you on Twitter?
5: I'm on th- Twitter for Extra Life, and oh, I use right. it to tra- check for traffic. And so I don't. I don't oh. really know my username. Do you want it? <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I don't know how to spell my username. Um, I know. Chris, we'll find it out and put Chris it. Chris yeah. follows me, and but I hardly post anything. No worries. But I will try and use it
0: you don't have to no pressure at all I just want to know I'm if you wanted to get
5: commute time like got yeah. home in 23 minutes yeah,
1: yeah
0: here's my lunch it's awesome yeah cool alright well thanks again you guys and uh, uh, we'll let you get back to work making the next D&D book yeah we caught you and
1: you like five minutes off yes right
0: crank it up Scandal Season 6
5: there we go alright thanks guys right now
2: That was
0: pretty cool.
1: That was alright. I
0: love talking to Emmy. Just and Jeremy. kidding,
1: I do too. Yeah, they're a small team. We are a small team, and, and we crank out a lot of content. Knock it out of the park every Beautiful single time. Beautiful books. I
0: know. Yeah, and they're right in that it has like developed into this well-oiled uh, machine yeah. of production. Yes, it's hard as heck making it all happen in the short amount of time that yep. we have to do it, and the like you know you said the lean team that we have. But they got it down to a science.
1: They're they just really do good. do it up. That is a really cool book. Yeah.
0: yeah. And uh, I think part of it is the they, they figured out how to have fun with each other.
1: Yes. And snacks. And snacks. There's always snacks. And zhuzh. Zhuzh. Yeah. With a
0: Z. Yeah. I feel like that's something I would put on my uh, uh, my steak sandwich. Some a zhuzh.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah?
0: Zhuzh it up. I'll up my zhuzh.
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, mm, no. Yeah,
0: that's too much. Yeah, <laughs> don't want to hear about meat sandwiches. So, uh, if you enjoyed uh, hearing all that stuff uh, from these guys and uh, the lore you should know and Shelly and I's amazingly terrible banter, you can rate and or review us on iTunes. Go there. Make it happen. Tell us how much you like and or dislike Shelly's voice. Oh, stop Uh, it. No, don't do that.
1: Sensitivity. If you do
0: have feedback uh, (laughs) that is not positive, make it constructive. Make it something we can change. We can't change your voice.
1: Change your voice. Give her a voice modulator. Oh, wait. I, I can have the distortion. Oh, Welcome to Dragon Talk. <laughs> That's what I think I sound like anyway. <laughs> I hate my voice.
0: Don't worry. You have a beautiful voice. Don't. Don't. All right, fine. <laughs> Thanks, you guys, so much uh, for hanging out with our crazy, weird, wild crew uh, for the last hour. We'll be back next week with some more fun Dragon Talk. Yep. Check us out then.
1: Bye-bye. Peace out.